Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Oh, good to see you guys. Yeah, Dude, it's been a you. minute. I think it was 2019, wasn't it? Maybe 2020. I know. Yeah, it might have been 20. It was 20. Yeah. Yeah, it was the second to last thing I did before everything was canceled. Yeah. How did uh, how did COVID affect you? I mean, you're everything you do is like totally in person. Yeah. Well, ironically, we were starting to launch an app anyway. Total coincidence that we were putting videos on a training app, and we were set to launch it in March 20 of 20. 2020 anyway like that was already gonna happen oh cool so it just kind of out pretty well i mean we probably put it out there a little stronger like we were gonna beta test it first and we were just like here enjoy it figure it out and so we started to do that um we've also launched an online course platform which i'll tell you guys more about later because we did some research on it which had some great results but we started to do our stuff, you know, digitally. And honestly, that's the best way to expand right now. Because yeah. as you guys know, there's only so much you can do in person, hands-on, in terms of expanding and scalability. Are you still doing any fire conferences like like when we met at Firemanship? Yeah, yes, we are. And um, actually, my, my husband, you guys met Eric, who's retired firefighter, he's actually been taking over a lot of those for me and doing those. Um, and we have, you know, we have our trained instructors and they're taken over a lot. Very and cool. I'm trying to make sure that it's not just all on my shoulders because that's not sustainable. You know, I want to make sure this is a model that can be replicated and get to as many people as possible. That's tough. I think when you're a small business owner, you have a hard time letting go of the things that you feel like only you can do. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is it's like, you know how the, the best thing you want as a teacher or a mentor is your student to surpass you, right? To do better than, than you do. And that's really what I want is I want YFFR to go beyond me and way after I'm gone, I want this to, you know, to continue. So it really is important for me that other people are able to take this training and expand on it and and keep it moving forward but you're absolutely right that it's like you want to find the right people to do it because you want to make sure the quality doesn't go down yeah you know or it gets diluted in any way so you're looking for very specific people who really know the intention of the training i heard a 140 percent rule so if you have can find an employee that can do what you can do up to 70 percent Whereas some mm-hmm. small business owners would say, I'm going to fire you and get someone who can do it 100%. They'll hire somebody else at 70%. And then now you have basically 140% employee split mm-hmm. up between two people. So instead of having this dream of having this person, this magical person that can do everything you can do the same way, uh, you find people who can do up to what you can do at 70%. And then they bring in their own little yeah. you know, uh, flavor to it. Yeah, that's, I'm going to remember that because I think that's really important because everyone has something unique to, to bring and it's important to be open to other people's point of view 
and lens as well. I thought what was so unique about you and your husband is when we met, we were out at firemanship and we were doing a 24 hour class, which that in itself was very strange, right? Like that's not something that the fire service is, is used to. And then we bring in a team that is going to basically like do yoga for first responders, which is another thing that I think is very, very rare in, in our job. Yeah. And you guys came in and walking into a, a situation full of alphas that yeah. are so invested in themselves that they want to do a 24 hour class. That's a very specific type of person. And you and your husband yeah. came in and owned the place. And in short order, and I think it was so impressive to see, you know, not only a female instructor, which again is a rare thing in our job still, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. doing something that is seen by, I think, uh, a naive portion of the population as, oh, we're going to do this very feminine exercise. And then you guys came in mm-hmm. and everyone was like, dude, that was fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not doing that again. Is yeah, she? yeah. You know, but what's interesting, you're absolutely right. And uh, there is the branding and marketing of yoga in the West is female centric. And it's also branded and marketed to make money. Yoga is a billion dollar business. Yoga pants cost $150 a pair. I mean, and as long as people keep paying that, they're going to keep doing yeah, it. Craig, stop right? buying I mean, them. it's just I make my butt look money good. talks. <laughs> but so, so all pants are yoga pants. That's what we say. There you <laughs> that's go. Awesome. All right. So when you see that, like if you Google right now, like Google image, the word yoga, you are not going to see a picture of a firefighter. You're not going to see a picture of someone training their mind and nervous system, which is the original intention of yoga. It's a mental training. When yoga was created, literally thousands of years ago, it was for the warrior class. It was for them to have an edge over their opponent, a mental edge, because they would have control over your greatest and strongest tool, which is your mind and your nervous system. All of that was lost when it came to the West. And, And I'm wondering if it was around the time of the Beatles, honestly, when they went to India and then, you know, they kind of brought back this hippie culture and, and, took it and made it something different. The West picked it up. It became about soccer moms. Everything you see in branding about yoga is white, skinny females doing crazy positions. So if you're a firefighter and you hear yoga's good and you Google yoga, because what else are you going to do? You're going to see these images that are not you. And so immediately you're going to think, this is not, this is not for me. So my intention in starting yoga for first responders was to bring it back to its original intention, to train warriors how to master their mind and optimize their greatest tool, their psychophysiological system. And part of that, and when I studied yoga in India, I was extremely disciplined. That's part of it. Mastering your mind is incorporating discipline, you know? And so I took all of that and I'm like, what population could use these tools and is going to resonate with the original intention and culture of yoga? And that's first responders and military. And the way that I teach is, you know, I think this training is so critical that I, I don't bullshit around. You know, this is I mean, I really do think it's important because it's a missing skill set in a population who desperately needs it. I mean, it, the the population that's going out in these high stress situations to see more 
loss, death, destruction in one shift than a civilian will see in their lifetime. And we're not providing them with the tools to not only survive it, but be able to be better from it. I mean, that's, it's a tragedy. It's a real, real shame. And so we're seeing these statistics of stress-based health issues and really not doing a good job at answering that. And to me, there's this, and then I see that, and then I see this training that is specifically meant to process stress, build resilience and enhance performance. So to me, I was like, it's a perfect match. Now, the the roadblock, like you just mentioned, is all these ma typically male, typically alpha males and alpha, alpha females who have been exposed to the marketing and branding of yoga are going to be resistant to doing it. So 90% of my job, guys, is convincing people to do it. And if we could just get past that, ooh, we could really get to work. We could really do some good training. But I have to do a whole song and dance about why it's okay to not only okay, but necessary to have this kind of training in, you know, as part of your, your skill set. Well, I think one really cool thing that you guys did was we're all in bunker gear and you insisted on being in bunker gear as well. And I think, mm -hmm. and we talk about how to create buy-in and, and that stuff all the time. And, and what else do you need? You have your instructor doing it the same way that, you know, you're, you're supposed to do it. Yeah, you didn't mm -hmm. show up in yoga pants. I mean, really. Yeah, you know? honestly. So that you, you're more like the uh, <laughs> students you're teaching, you know, but, you know, I can attest mm -hmm. to it's still being, you know, the West, it's still being like female centered. I mean, just, just the other day, I tried to do the heated yoga, which I want to talk to you about your opinion yeah. on that, but I tried yeah. to do the heated yoga probably once every couple of weeks, but yeah, I'm, I'm the only, I'm the only dude in there, which is fine. I don't care, but yeah. I mean, I, it's for my benefit to be in there, but we started doing, uh, so our, we have a rotating shift schedule and when our shifts fall on a Saturday, we try and do yoga Saturday. But when nice. you go on the TV to look for like a class to take, you're right. It's always some female from Southern California on the beach. And it's like, it, yes. it, it works for us. But, it, you know, I think what you guys are doing is you're creating something that's a little bit more accessible to, you know, like, and I remember your husband saying specifically, like some of those yoga poses, when we are doing our job, those are the poses that we are that we're in. So it's almost like if you can, absolutely, yeah, you create some sort of like, Hey, you got to make it relatable. Totally. Right. Yeah. And I, we're not on a beach Yeah, as much as I'd like. It to has be. to be job specific. I mean, well, and that beach thing, it really pisses me off because it's like, I don't have a beach. So it's like, yeah. So that always gets me too, but that's why, well, first of all, we need to hook you up with our app. So you know, you have your videos for yoga Saturday. So, so. tell us about the app. So the app is called Cyber Academy. Um, you can find it by going to our website, yogaforfirstresponders.org, or just searching on the app store for it. So it's an on-demand platform, an app on all your devices. Um, there's over 100 videos on there, uh, ranging from two minutes to 90 minutes. Uh, tactical breath work, just your yoga classes. And we put like what the emphasis is. If it's for functional mobility, it's for strength. We also have what we call neurological reset. You can call it meditation if you want. We, we try to take away the names that have a stigma attached to them. The woo, woo And instead rename it for, right, get rid of the woo-woo. We don't need it. So what we're doing is resetting your neurological system. So we call it neuro reset. And you can listen to it um, 
before, you know, when you're trying to go to sleep. And often, you know, even when you're sleeping, it doesn't mean you're actually recovering. So true recovery is making sure that you're, you're regulated, your system is regulated. And you can actually do that without being in a sleep cycle if necessary. So if you're getting a lot of back-to-back -back calls and you just lay down, listen to a 20-minute neural reset, you are recovering. How does and maybe that work, right though? after that, you get another call. You still had the recovery time. How does that work? How does this neural reset work? So basically your hormones, your brain waves, your nervous system is always on in your line of work because even if you're not on a call, you're anticipating one. And even when you're off duty, let's say, so here, here's where we're supposed to normally sit, right? Homeostasis, we are built to be here 99.9% .9 of the time as humans. The stress response was originally built for that small amount of time where the lion's chasing you every once in a while. It's supposed to be short-term and urgent. So here's where we're meant to live. Here is emergency where we're, you know, we're on. So even if you're not on a call, you're anticipating it, your nervous system is up here. And when you're living up here, you're a, a lot of your biology is being compromised, your digestive system, your circulation, your immunity, your reproduction, all of that stuff is lowered so that attention and energy could can be directed to saving your life. So unfortunately, and, and that's fine if it's for a limited amount of time, but unfortunately when you're living up here and all of your visceral organs are per, are performing under par so that your energy is going to survival, you're killing yourself from the inside out. You know, you, that's not performing optimally. So we don't want to stay living up here. It's not, and this is why a lot of first responders don't live very long after retirement because their organs aren't, you know, aren't up to par. So we need to come back down. And even when you're off duty and you go home and let's say you start, your nervous system starts to, whew, okay, regulate. What's at home? more stress, bills to pay, kids, whatever's going on, right? So you're then back into an activated state and you never actually get the opportunity to come back down to regulation. So regulation can happen just with time and where you kind of, your nervous system floats back down. But the issue with this is there can't be any other stressors. You have to have a neutral, sterile environment for your nervous system to naturally float back down. And depending on the stressor and the cumulative stress you've experienced. So here's another thing is even if you haven't experienced an acute trauma, maybe in your that tour or for the last couple of months, the cumulative stress is going to have the same effect on your system as if there was a traumatic critical incident that happened. So we have to pay attention to that cumulative stress as well. So depending on the amount of stress, it could take anywhere from 30 minutes to 48 hours for your system to regulate only if it's in a neutral sterile environment. That's not possible. So cross that off the list. The other thing is as mammals, we have a built-in mechanism to regulate. You never see an antelope whose life is in danger literally multiple times a day out in the wild. They don't experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress. They're sleeping fine, they're pooping fine, they're reproducing fine, they're not drinking at the bar with their friends, that's a joke, but the point is, is that seriously, they're not experiencing these typical symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Why? 
because after the, the stressful event, they go behind a bush or something, they shake, they yawn, they do all these different kinds of breath work and tremoring to get their nervous system back down to regulation. There's a video of this, a study that they did with polar bears. If you look up like polar bear stress response, you, you can find it. Basically they put, uh, they, what's it called uh, when they do the dart to- Tranquilizer? Just get an animal. Tranquilizer, thank you. They, they chased a polar bear to stress it out. Then they tranquilized it right at the top of its stress. So when it came to, they could really observe how that polar bear, you know, regulated its stress response. And it's through changing its breath and tremoring the body. This episode is brought to you by us. More importantly, our Patreon. And most importantly, our Patreon members. If you like what you're hearing, think about joining us. Head on over to the-standard.us. And for as little as $3 a month, you can get extra episodes, discounts on gear, monthly conference calls. So head on over to our site at the-standard.us. And remember to always like and subscribe. Back to the show. So we literally have to move and process stress hormones. And that's how the hormones change. Uh, move it out of our body and out of our nervous system through breath. Now, we're mammals too. We have the same ability to do that. But what we have that the antelope and the polar bear doesn't have is this, a, a mind, an egoic mind, a critical thinking mind that overrides the nervous system's ability to do that. We think things like man up, don't cry, get back to work. Uh, I have an overtime job, whatever's going on that you don't give yourself the time for your nervous system's natural ability to regulate. So we don't do that either. So the only thing left to do is if we're not gonna automatically do it with our nervous system's inherent ability, we have to manually do it. And this is where the breath work exercises and the neural reset and even the physical aspect of yoga comes in because you're moving the body. How many times does someone get in a, you know, even a difficult email? They're pissed off, they write an email back, and they stay sitting at their desk. They're physically not moving. They're not doing any breath work. All the stress hormones stay in the tissues. And this is going to affect your nervous system, but it's also going to affect your physical body. You, people think that they're stiff and pain, you know, all painful because they're getting older. It's because you've experienced more stress and you've never processed it out. That's why your back hurts. You know, you're, it's a physical manifestation of what life is doing to you. Hmm. And so you have to physically move the body. You have to do your breath work. You have to do the neural reset exercises, which is sometimes breath work, sometimes visualization. But the whole point of it is to bring the hormones down, process the stress, and get back to regulation and recovery and homeostasis so that you are ready for action. A regulated nervous system is not just one that's chilled. It's one that knows how to effectively be in stress and regulate afterwards. And that's why with you guys, I, the yoga portion of your training wasn't like, all right, let's do some stretches. It was like, let's get into some difficult positions and learn how to breathe and be cool and be under high stress and still be in control. I know that was a really long no. way to the answer, wasn't it? No, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking, <laughs> how do you get somebody to 
say buy into or just be open to the first step. Oh, I think that's yoga. easy. I think that's easy. I, I think you. It's not though. No, not I, not in our line of work. Not with not with. Well, I think it's easy for us. If if I came in one day and I was like, "Hey guys, we're gonna like let's do this." Like I did it last night. It's really hard. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys can do it. Challenge, right? Well, you guys are a different breed. Then this is why you guys are willing to do anything to make you better at your craft. That is true. And well, so and that's when you why have back it, pain and all that all the time, you kind of are forced to do. Yeah, well, you do it because you're hurt all the time. Because you're old and broken. Yeah, but I, but what she says is <laughs> what you said is actually really um, thought provoking. It's like all the stress you have, everything you're just it's your lifestyle is causing your back to you know. You know I can echo exactly what you said. My back hurts, my knee hurts, my joints hurt. You know, my mobility's decreased. Oh, I'm getting old, but there are some people out there that are getting old just like me and they feel all right you know yeah uh and i'm doing enough stretching but that's a good point i mean it's it's probably right i don't want to admit it but it's probably (laughs) well like (laughs) well so here's another thing too that's going to help and i think is the difference i always kind of talk about this when you go to the gym and you see someone do a sit and reach like this you know and they're sitting and reaching for their toes they're stretching every day for six months but they have not limited pain and their mobility has not been enhanced at all, but they've been stretching, you know? So what's the difference? The difference is, is with stretching, people focus on muscles, but with functional mobility and processing stress, it's the connective tissue and the joints you want to focus on. So for instance, for your, like say knees, hips, low back, let's say I got you into a yoga squat. I'd make sure that your alignment was correct. And then we'd stay there and we'd do 10 full tactical breaths because that is when the true change happens, not just sort of sitting and, you know, bouncing, reaching for your toes a couple of times. And it's not comfortable. And I'm not saying it's acute pain, you know, at all. It's just, it's a discomfort because of stiffness and your connective tissue being so, you know, stiff and taut. And because it's uncomfortable, people don't want to do it. Now, those of you, such as such as you guys, and and you know, and the message you guys promote is exactly the same message that I'm promoting, and that's why it's easy to talk to you guys about it. Because when I show you, and I'm everything I do is evidence based, guys. I'm gonna BS you. I have numbers and data to show you that this stuff is true, and I'm collecting more myself, which I'll tell you guys about later. But if I say, listen, this is gonna make you better at what you guys do. Those who are thinking that way, knowing that they have to be top of their craft, they'll do anything to be, you're saying this is going to make me better? Yes, I'm in. I find the same thing with SWAT operators. They're the ones like, yes, yes, I'm in. The people who are most resistant to me are the ones that are scared that I'm going to reveal their vulnerabilities, Hmm. that I'm going to reveal their weaknesses. And sometimes this happens with leadership, you know? Like when I find that leadership is resistant, it's often because they're going to be exposed as not having the tools that they need. So it's really the top performers that I find the most willing to, you know, having the buy, you know, accepting the buy-in for this and and going into it. But the thing is, is when when I do my presentations and I put up data and numbers, 
I take away everyone's excuse to right. not do this. So as a civilian, you've walked into probably countless firehouses at this point. Does it almost make you, I guess, how does it make you feel seeing what is responding to the public? Deconditioned, uninvested employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there are those uh, with the bell curve, you know, you, you're going to have your 10% up here, your 10% that are completely useless. Um, but that curve in the middle is kind of, that, that, that's the majority of our fire service with, you know, mm-hmm. uh, two thirds being out of shape. I mean, how does that make you feel as a civilian, mm-hmm. a taxpayer? Yeah. You know, that's, I've never been asked that before. And it's interesting because I, sometimes it is, it is a little scary, I would say. Like I, I have complete trust in, you know, my my city's agencies and, and public safety. I mean, they do my program, so of course <laughs> I trust them. But <laughs> but what I what I think is most uh, sort of scary to me is that when I see the resistance someone has to being better. And I know it comes from the fear, the ego, and like I mentioned before, being afraid to being of uh, being exposed and that being exposed. I know that that is going to show up in different ways at work. I always say that I can tell how someone is, who someone is, by the way they practice yoga, because how they are on the yoga mat, how they respond to coaching, how committed they are, that's reflected in everything else they do. So when I see someone who is resistant to my coaching, not, you know, rolling their eyes at me and I see their ego come out, I'm like, that is not someone I'd want to have on my crew because that same ego is going to come out in many different things. When I see someone who is diving into it, anything that's going to make me better, then I'm like, that's someone who I would trust with my life. Mm. Here's an example there's, I really encourage scalability in the physical aspect of yoga. So if you can't maintain your breath work or proper alignment, you need to scale the physical drill down in order to get the proper alignment and the breath work, because that's the most important guys. That's the most important. And then we keep upping the ante physically, but you're carrying the control of your body and your breath with you. So I've seen, I mean, I would literally be telling people low, like in a high plank that their butt's too high or it's dragging too low. They're holding their breath. They're gripping their jaw. They're not taking my coaching. And I'm like, lower your knees, put your knees on the ground, put your knees on the ground. They refuse because they do not want to be seen as someone who's doing a girl push up or, so, or whatever. Right. And I'm like, I would not want to be in a high stress situation with you because you would be leading from your ego instead of understanding what's best for this situation. I've seen other dudes, huge dudes, right? They clearly are stronger than I am, but I'm schooling them in a yoga push-up because it's different because it requires different muscles that they haven't, you know, they haven't worked on before. So I said, you know what, to get this right, lower your knees down. We're going to fix the alignment. We're going to get your breath intact, you know, and they do it. They're like, yes, I'm, I'm going to do it in order to get the, the mission accomplished, which is control of my breath. That person I would trust with my life. It has nothing to do with the knees on the ground or off. I know this person's strong. It's the fact that they know what the mission is 
and they're going their eyes on the mission not on themselves so the amount of resistance and ego i see often um i know that that's how they're leading and especially it's really scary when it comes from leadership because you know that culture trickles down and now i know how the entire agency is being led is from insecurity and ego that's what kind of hurts you know like honestly before i mean with my local agencies honestly before i came into them the reason i'm they have my program is their leadership knew it was important and made it a priority the chief of police here locally is in my yoga classes he's doing them and we have a wonderful police department. We have a wonderful fire department because, you know, they're leading from what's for what's best for their personnel, which is going to be what's best for the city. Where are you at? Castle, Castle Rock. Rock. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Castle Rock, baby. Shout out yeah. to Castle Rock. We did a, a training with them not too long ago for another, another job. But what I find interesting about that is that it's so easy for people to be like, yeah, we really care about our, our first responders, mental health. We're going to get, you know, EAP program up and running and we'll give you guys resources, but then there'll be places that are like, well, we're not going to take people out of service to have them come in and mm -hmm. do a yoga class when that, man, that's really what we need because I would look forward to that. If, oh my if they, gosh. If yeah. They said, Hey, you know, we're going to rotate around and, you know, say in, in your case, Olivia, if, if our department shows, Oh, well, we're going to provide the app for everybody. And then, you'll get the kind of the actual class in person, say every crew or a group of crews once every two months or something. I would look for it. That, mm -hmm. that would be nice. Yeah, that'd be go, great. Go out of service. I mean, you're always in service for the big stuff. That's what people will say. Well, you're going to go out of service that now. Like, yeah. just so you know. There's a fire. We're there's going. There's a fire. We're going. Like, there, yeah. that's, that's always happened. But just to be able to say, you know, okay, mm -hmm. the, the minor BLS medical calls or service calls that really can be tabled, well, for now we're gonna we're gonna do this yoga class for an hour or so, and I I mean well, and that's how it's done here. Well, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah. How much leadership go do ahead. you see in these classes? Like, how many times do you have the chief or like high level white shirts in your classes? Yeah. Um, so with Castle Rock PD, for instance, we were doing three classes a week that everyone could choose. I mean, they could come to all of them, but basically it's like choose one of these classes because with police departments specifically, it's just harder with scheduling. One of those classes always had someone in command staff attending, always. It's awesome. Yeah. And with the fire department here, they are doing it on duty they weren't being taken out of service so that's something we have to deal with that they leave and sometimes come right back sometimes don't we figure it out and that's another thing of part of what we do being culturally informed and job specific is we're we're structuring everything knowing your line of work and what's going to happen you know and what you were saying tom too about the you know having a in-person once a month or once every couple of months and then the app the rest of the time that's actually traditionally how yoga was trained. You would study with your teacher in person for a brief amount of time, and then you would go and practice it. And then you would come back a couple months later and, and train again. But the, the real training was you going out and figuring it out and doing it and applying it to life. You don't want to be dependent on your instructor. You know, you want to make sure that you're, you're owning this skill. 
And like what you guys said is one of my big pet peeves is there's so much talk about resilience training and wellness and blah, 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 but there isn't a lot of action being taken. And I know there's people's hands are tied, right? I know there's so much going into it, the short on staff and lots of red tape. And I, I understand that too, but I also think there is a way that it could be incorporated and taken as seriously as all the other training you guys get. I mean, if it is as important, you know, this is something I ask, let me ask you guys this. How much of your job would you say is mental, requires mental grit, mental focus, like the, the mental aspect, like what percentage of your job would you say? 80%. Well, I'm going to answer that a little different. I, of the calls that are true emergencies, so. Which is say, like a. That's like 10%. Yeah. All right. So as a whole, 10% of the job requires us, I feel like, to engage on a very like fine-tuned level mentally. So mm -hmm. does that make sense? Like it, it's really a, a little bit, but it's actually when you're on these calls, it's all in. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Let's take going to the same nursing home five times in a day for the same patient. That is 100% mental. To stay in the game, stay polite, stay professional, like that is not a physical thing. So I would say that for the majority of our job, we need to keep our cool. We need to modify our delivery for our patient or, you know, like I honestly think that the intense calls are relatively easy because that's what, at least for us, like that's what we train for. If we go to a structure fire, my ability to know whether I'm going to the roof or not, where I'm going, that kind of thing. Like that just kind of comes automatic. I don't think there's a whole lot of like That's from your training though. Yeah, but there's not a whole lot of grit to that. It's No, I think hey, I haven't slept I haven't slept in 2 days and now I need to go to this person who I've run on 5 times this week and be a professional. To me, that's that's where the grit comes in. So I'd say that actually like 80% of our job is mental and the fun parts are the physical ones. You know what I'm saying? Kind of. I don't know if that's what she's asking, though. Is that what you're asking? Well, yes. And I think you're both correct, though, because right. both See? does re require, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, some some mental grit. But I think, you know, what you're saying is correct is you're talking about cumulative stress versus acute stress, too. So, yes, the frequent flyers, all that stuff, it's the middle of the night, you haven't slept and you're running on something that is BS or whatever. Yes, that takes an enormous amount of mental grit, as you're saying. And then the structure fire, you're in flow. And flow still is taxing mentally. You just don't feel it because flow is fun. Yeah. And also that kind of stress your nervous system is actually built for, that acute stress, it's ready to go. It's all in. The cumulative stress is the one that you have to dig deep for it because it's not, you know, automatically setting you, you know, into focus. So both are correct. But I think that if we took the physical part away, like the, the fighting the fire is a lot of physical. It's a lot of the tactics you've learned and trained for why you went into fire service. Um, and then the rest of your job, which is probably most of it, is not physical and not what you went into fire service for. So, you know, so, so both are requiring um, a mental aspect. So let's feel, agree that a lot of it. 
would you say the eighty percent causes more of that stress? Like yeah. overall stress, just like the the grind. Yeah. You know, that's well what about not even hard... calls? Let's leave the calls to the side. What about dealing with people? What about <laughs> being in your firehouse and dealing with people? Well, what's, think, what's going on? Yeah. There? I think that I think being in our firehouse might be the only thing that relieves a lot of that stress, but it's getting mandatory. It's you know, like every time the phone rings in the morning, everyone's like, don't pick it up. <laughs> like, who's going to get mandatory <laughs> today? Or it's, you know, like, hey, this policy just came down. It makes no sense. It's completely tone deaf to the needs and wants of of the line members. That's the stuff that. That's what I'm me, talking is about. Is, yeah. Off the calls. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand like you guys do like that informal therapy of sitting around the kitchen table. That's, that's great. I, but I'm talking about that. I'm talking about like the bureaucracy or this or that. That's just, you know, like you, you, for instance, say you really want yoga, it'd be really helpful. And they're just not going to put it in because of some BS reason or, or whatever, just that. So that, that is what I'm talking about. That kind of the mental aspect of calls, but also not being on call, you know, so now my question is, so let, let's just agree that it's a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a lot. I agree. Um, how much, when you went through the academy and also just training, you have to continuously do percentage wise, how much training did you receive for that specific aspect of the job that we just talked about? Zero. Yeah. It's kind of like a figure it out as you go. Well, I think what's interesting that we do in the fire service and on the police side is we do a great job of teaching us how to fill up our cup, but like not how to empty it. So we go and we do like a gnarly VES training or whatever, or what you're seeing a lot now is like, there's a total cottage industry for active shooter responders, right? Like everyone's coming out of the woodwork to like teach people how to deal with this. So we're going to put you in like this crazy high stress situation. And then you're going to go back to your station and like, there's no, like, right. there's no release. There's no, you know, there's no like second part of that, that I think is we're doing kind of a disservice, which is where, where you guys come into play, which I think is you're giving us mm -hmm. some hands-on tactile things to do to, you know, like you said, bring us back to homeostasis. Mm -hmm. You just identified it. Like there is a huge educational gap in your training. And you had just identified it because you told me that most of what, a lot of what you do in your line of work has zero training for. I mean, there's this, this huge gap and that's why we're seeing all these statistics, all the stress-based issues that are happening. And so you're absolutely right is that is my intention of what I wanna plug in is to fill that educational gap. And you're absolutely right that people are thrown into scenario training or whatever it is without, you know, I, I, so I went through a fire academy and a police academy several years ago when I was up for it. Which one was the hardest? <laughs> yeah. Which one was the hardest? Yeah. They yeah. were hard. They were hard for different reasons. Careful here. I, come on. Come on. I know. Okay. <laughs> I will tell you this. I think that going through a fire academy was harder, but it was more fun. Of course. <laughs> If I had to choose one, and I'm not saying this because of you guys or my husband being a firefighter, but I probably would have chosen fire service. With police work, oh, and I know you deal with people in fire service. That's mostly what you're doing. Like you talk about the nursing home calls. 
but there's so much having to do with people and there's so many difficult um well you're also dealing know. with people that don't like you don't want you there right and, they, and they, they're just, just in they're in bad moods you know you're they see police show up and it's like a pits in their stomach and now i gotta deal with this and i'm in trouble no one you know? wants to see the cops yeah so. <laughs> right and the fire shows up it's like okay things you know the good guys luckily are, yeah our reputation over the years has become one of okay things are going to get better now right. that they're here well and that you helps. know when i like was in fire academy i wasn't getting paid for it i was doing it because of this work so i could you know understand it more i was very lucky to be invited in it was it was very hard for me because it's not the line of work I wanted to go into. So it was, you know, I really had to get my grit going to, to do it. I did have fun though, but I remember when we were doing um, fire behavior and we were sitting, you know, watching a fire all around us, which no one gets to do. You can't get that close to fire without being in gear. You know, it was just beautiful. The most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was just like, I got chills. It was art. It was gorgeous, you know? And I was so fortunate to be able to see the physics of how fire works and to wrap my head around how to fight fire and go in and learn it and then put it to practice. I mean, I thought it was, and to see myself get better at it. In, you know, in, in police academy, just working on unholstering and reholstering over and over again. It's cool because I, you know, I really, since I was doing it for, you know, for what I do, I was working on proprioception and fine motor skills. And a lot of the other recruits kept automatically looking down at their holster, which you can't do. You have to put your brain in your hand, you know. And so I was working on that and how I could apply it to yoga. So, so it was interesting in that aspect. But uh, the training I found to be more fun with fire service. But one thing they said in both of those academies was something about you got to have the warrior mindset. You got to have the warrior mindset. And I raised my hand. I was like, when's warrior mindset training? When does that (laughs) class happen? (laughs) Because it's like, you just got to have it. And so I was like, all right, well, there's your there's your gap right now, because warrior mindset training, what they're actually saying is the ability to take high stress, process it in a manner that comes out as resilience and not being depleted. And there is no training. The, the training for that exists. It's just not being, you know, applied. That skill is not being taught. And so that's what we're here to do is to, you know, give you that skill set, you know, and that's why our approach, unlike a lot of, you know, subjects about resilience and wellness are reactive peer support EAP. And I'm not knocking those because my husband was on the peer support team and he led it and there are great things for that. But my approach is proactive. So hopefully you don't even have to take advantage of those things. Let's arm you ahead of time with all of these tools that you need. And so that's our approach. And also that's specifically for buy-in as well, is I'm trying to make this tactic cool. You know, I want yoga to be cool, (laughs) not like, I'm messed up from something. I have to go to yoga class. No, let's yoga is going to make you elite. You know, and I, when I teach at academies, one of the questions I ask them is who in here wants to be elite and not everyone raises their hand. That's embarrassing. Yeah. And some people are like, I'm just trying to get through the academy. And I was like, that's, that's the issue. You can't just try to get through something. You have to be, you have to want to be elite. You're dealing with people's lives here. 
You know, you, you have to want to be elite. And this is just another tool that's going to get you there. And we have research that proves that these techniques changes the brain and nervous system. Have you guys heard of psychophysiological coherence or heart rate variability? No. Anything like that? Oh, you would love it. You guys would love it. I'm going to look it up. It's, okay. it's, um, it's amazing. It's, it measures how optimal your system is functioning. So it's being in coherence, which is measured by heart rhythm patterns, which includes heart rate variability. So a quick explanation of heart rate variability is when someone is performing optimally, there is variation in the time between their heartbeats. When someone's heartbeat is even, they are not performing optimally, their nervous system is stuck. And in fact, uh, I was talking to a pediatric emergency room doctor, and she said when they see children's HRV, heart variability, as low, as even, it means they're about to go downhill real fast. And that's what notifies them that they need some emergency care. When you say even, are you talking about that their rate is regular? Yeah, it's the space between the heart, the heart beats. Okay. So it's... I don't know what the measurement is, but it's not even every time. Gotcha. And so when so when there's an, a high variability between heartbeats, you are functioning optimally. And I wonder if, oh, I'd love to show this to you guys if I could pull it up real quick. But it, anyway, it's measured in a graph. You know, you can see it. If you send, it has, send me what you're talking about and yeah. we'll put it up for our Patreon. Okay. Because this will yeah. be on video. I'll send it to you guys. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of complex. I'm trying to simplify it, but basically it's not having to do like, you know, how heart rate has to do with like how you're performing physically. Sure. So if you're doing some high physical intense stuff, your heart rate's going to be up. Okay, great. Your heart rate can be up because you're performing physically, but your heart rate variability can still be increased and high, which is where we want it to be, meaning you're still in control. And I can be sitting here with, with a low heart rate because I'm not physically active. But if I'm not in coherence, I could have a low heart rate variability, which means, which is tied to not being able to make clear decisions, not functioning optimally. It has nothing to do with physical, your physical activation is what I'm trying to say. The reason this is important is coherence can you can be in coherence and in a high physical state. So you can be physically activated and still in control. And that's something that can be trained coherence. And what trains coherence is breath work and also mental framing. So cognitive, you know, techniques to change your mental framing. You can be physically active and still totally present and in control. A lot of times, as we saw in the training that we did, when people get physically activated, they seem to also lose cognitive functioning. You know, they don't know what's going on. They're not making correct decisions. They don't know, you know, I'll put uh, blast masks on people for, um, for yoga training. And I've done yoga for six weeks with them. I put their mask on with a blast mask. They literally don't know their right from their left. It's amazing to see you start to give them a little bit of stress and they can't, their brain is not communicating well with their body. So that is showing that they are not in coherence. So 
I'll send you guys some stuff, but look up coherence, heart rate variability. They've done a lot of research with police officers specifically. I have a biofeedback machine on my computer that shows uh, heart rate variability and test coherence. And I'll put in my trainings, um, I'll put someone on the biofeedback machine and just sit them in front of their peers and ask them to sing the national anthem or whatever. And you see them, they're sitting, so they're not physically activated, but their coherence is out the window, which means if they had to make a high level decision at that point, they wouldn't be able to do it. That's, that's not how their mind is functioning. They're basically leaking energy. Then I have them start working tactical breath work, repeating some phrases to themselves. Um, you know, I, I heard you, Tom, talk a lot about challenge or threat, which I we've incorporated for a long time into our training as well. That's what we're talking about, that mental reframing. It changes hormone levels, and that's proven to do that. So if we have them repeat a phrase and change their breathwork pattern, they can put themselves in a coherent state. And I'll send you guys the graph of me doing this in real time in one of my trainings. And I don't know where why I got on this, but I think the point <laughs> that I was trying to make is that resilience or your mindset, all this stuff is indeed trainable. And I want you to imagine for a second, you know, there's all these things people have to qualify for in order to graduate the academy or to, you know, to, to keep up whatever they need to keep up. Can you imagine if you couldn't graduate from an academy until you could prove you could regulate yourself in three minutes or less? I mean, wouldn't that be rad? Yeah. I want to try that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have it. I'd love to come to you guys and just like, I'll just, well, I'll sit at the kitchen table with you guys. We'll stress one of you out and see what we can do. But I mean, it's so easy to do. And I know we're dealing with, you know, insurance and, you know, all, all that fun stuff, whatever's going to get in our way, you know, uh, HR, I don't know who's going to raise a red flag or whatever, but if I ran the world, I would have anyone who's in a high stress situation have to prove that they can regulate their nervous system before they could go out and I put them in literal fire. That seems you like know? such an easy sell, you know, like, I think so because it's, you know, if you look back at all the things that we've done, I think you would agree with me on this, all the physical training, all the mental training, all anything that we've done to, for life in general. I would say the single most important thing that has contributed to whatever success we've had or I've had has been the going back to what you're saying, Olivia, the challenge versus threat, the fixed versus growth mindset. Once mm -hmm. I got a growth mindset of looking at things as challenges, being okay with, you know, there are going to be failures, there are going to be speed bumps, there are going to be missteps, but it's like getting it back to, Hey, this is a process which involves like controlling your mind, which involves all that. That beats all the physical work if, without it. Right. You know, you're just, mm -hmm. you, what, I mean, what do you think? And you're just a goon who runs fast. Well, you're just reaching lot, right? maybe 50% of your potential. <laughs> right. You know, it's, just, yeah, mm -hmm. you're just, you're just uh, going as hard as you can physically, but it's just so much untapped potential there when other stuff's allowed to get in the way, you know? Yeah, I mean, I that's a great way to describe it as untapped potential. It totally is. Because you can only go so far physically and all this other stuff is probably your greatest tool. There was a guy and told me that, you know, in his military service, there was a point where when his 
back was against the wall. He was physically exhausted. He, you know, all this was going wrong. The only thing he had left when he had nothing was his, his mind. And so that's what you have to train. Cause at the end of the day, that might be the last tool that you, you have. I mean, even like there was a, I heard a recording of, um, someone who was, uh, you know, was, had a mayday call and he was rescued and he, you know, survived, but the way he did it, you knew he was someone who was in control of his mind and his breath. Cause he's li literally has one breath to make that mayday call one breath. So you have to be in control enough to communicate that clearly, you know, of what's going on. And that takes proactive training. It doesn't just happen. When people say, be mindful, blah, blah, blah. Mindfulness can be trained. It's susceptible to training and it's a perishable skill. So when the shit hits the fan, it's not gonna come out. It's not gonna just happen. You have to train proactively for it if you wanna make use of your greatest tool, your mind, your breath. I think you see it a lot in young firefighters who, you know, like, Oh, that guy, he's kind of a dummy, but he'll come, he'll go through a wall for you. Like those, those dudes who are super strong, they have great skill, but they're dumb. They don't have that, <laughs> like, they don't have that second part that you're talking about. And I don't really want those folks on my crew. I'd rather have somebody who's a little less physically gifted, but it has the capability of thinking on their feet and staying calm and and being mindful like you're talking about, I think those are much more valuable employees and coworkers than the goons. And you, you need some goons. I've, I'm all for that. That's why you're here. That's why you have to move. You got to listen. You have to move heavy shit sometimes. There's right? no Someone doubt. Someone needs to move that to there. And I am not your guy for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your guy for that. Hey, so talk to me about uh, heated yoga. I want to go back to that. Cause that is something yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I do. You, I really do enjoy it. Every time you do it and you come back to the station, you're like, man, I had a brutal session yesterday, but I feel great. Right after I feel great. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that's a style of yoga. Yeah. But I mean, what what do you think of it? Like, what are. I love it. Perfect. I, I mean, Done. that's good. what I love. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Yeah. No, that's what I love to do. Um, I think that. It adds a stressor, which you know I love because it's like, let's stick to all of the, you know, um, I think I got, where did I get this from? I feel like I got this from your book where a basic skill becomes advanced when you add stress. Yeah. I mean, we did all we talk about you? master the basics until you become advanced. Kevin Shea said that, but um, that was okay. kind of Okay. All right. Well, there was something I got training. and I really resonated with me is like, Basic skills become advanced skills when you add a stress stressor to it. But anyway, point is, is that I love that because with hot yoga, take everything about yoga, the mindfulness, the breath work, the specificity. This is another thing that I really emphasize in my classes is the specificity of how you're doing something. The down dog, the warrior two, the sh that shape you're making, that's not what builds your resilience. It's how you do it. Where am I placing everything? How am I breathing? That's what's engaging the brain and the prefrontal cortex, which is what we're trying to train. So if you keep all that, 
Now let's add 100 degrees to it. <laughs> it adds a great stressor, a great challenge for your mind. I love personally, just because of my constitution, I love the cleansing of a sweat. I just, I love that personally. I always feel great afterwards, just having that sweat on, getting through that stress. So I personally love it. And I think that when I'm putting my students in bunker gear and having them do yoga, it's also hot yoga, you know, especially. Oh yeah, 100%. If, yep. It's on the same You know, thing. so yeah. it's, the, it's the same, it's the same thing. So I, I love it. Now the, the, the counter argument to a lot of hot yoga is that you should be making the heat yourself. There's certain breath techniques that you can warm up the body from the inside out. And that heat, the, in yoga, it's called tapas. And it's almost like uh, stoking the fire, not just actual fire and heat, but um, it could be building internal heat, moving it out of your system, processing stress, right? Stress is heat. You want to bring it up and breathe it out. And so the, the counter argument to hot yoga is you're bringing in an outside source. So the, the, the whole thing about yoga is that all you need is you. That's it. You don't need yoga pants. I mean, wear pants or, you or know, don't. privately you can do it naked you know? if you want. It's fine. Okay. But, <laughs> but you don't need a yoga mat. You don't need any of that stuff. We didn't do, we didn't have any mats when I worked with you guys. It doesn't matter. You just need you and your breath and your mind. This is your tool. This is your laboratory. So the counter argument is that you are bringing in an outside source to, to work with. And you really should be building the heat from the inside. You should be building the tapas from your own constitution and tools, which I totally understand too. Um, and there's a time and place for that. But I don't think there is anything of a disservice for doing hot yoga because it does add that outside element of stress. It gives you that amazing cleanse. that just, I think is great for the mind. And I enjoy practicing it. So you like hot yoga. There's like a million different styles of it. And there's also a lot of bullshit. Mm -hmm. How can you as a, a fellow practitioner, like I know that when we go to conferences and we see a certain type of instructor, I'm like, oh man, that mm -hmm. dude is full of shit. And that mm -hmm. seems to be, because honestly, anyone with a pickup truck and some tools can can go out and teach these fire service classes. And if you have mm -hmm. a big enough following on Instagram, you can fake that you know what you're doing. And for new totally. for new people coming into the craft, they don't know any better. They're like, oh, this is a charismatic person. They have all these cool tricks. And man, that's, you know, that must be really cool, which is, you know, like we, in our classes, we harp on the basics because that's all you really need to become a great, a great firefighter. So how would someone who's like, I want to get into this, but I don't really know who to follow. Like, how can you tell, yeah, how do you vet shit? an instructor for yoga? Yeah. And, and that's, that's a tough one because I do believe that most of it's bullshit, <laughs> you know, a lot of it in the West. So it's hard. You have to find those diamonds. Not everyone, not everyone. There are some real diamonds out there too. Um, I think one of the things is you have to sort of trust your own intuition and how it's making you feel. If you're benefiting from something, I'm never going to say to not do it. You know, like if you're, if you're getting something out of it, great. That's, that's great. One thing I would look for are bells and whistles. So you said trucks and tools. 
I was at a little training conference that shall remain nameless, but I was there and it was a lot of firefighters that were putting on the costume, right? And I could tell just because of all of the the trucks they had with the the big, you know, red line flag. And maybe you guys have that, but they were, they were we do not. you know, it was like the keychains that said firefighter on it or whatever. Yeah. But it was all these bells and whistles to show people that they were firefighters. Right. Instead of actually living it. So I find the same with yoga instructors. So I don't wear, you know me, I'm not wearing Buddha shirts. I'm not wearing malas. I curse, I drink whiskey, <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> and I feel, and I'm working every day to make sure I stay in the authentic practice of yoga. So I don't feel like I need a sticker, a bumper sticker that says, I love yoga on my right. car. I don't need that. So I think if you see someone and they call this in the yoga world, spiritual bypassing, hmm. meaning you are putting on a facade of I'm, you know, if someone comes in and, and acts very peaceful and <laughs> yes. acts like they I have can't. really I've been in got those it classes. together, you know, I've been in those classes. I they are can't lying. Stand it. Yeah. They're lying to you <laughs> because none of us have it guys. We're all messed up. Okay. Yeah. And if a yoga teacher comes in and goes, namaste, I, you know, I know the way, you know, follow me. I've got my malas on. To me, I'm like, you are completely bypassing the point of this training. This training sucks. It's hard. You are meant to dive in to yourself. Yoga is radical self-study. It's holding up a mirror. When my students get mad at me, it's because I'm holding up them a mirror, uh, holding up a mirror up to them about themselves. You know, I get on my students a lot about fidgeting because fidgeting is a, a habit that's wasting energy. People can't just stand still and breathe. And I bring their attention to it. And I can tell people are resistant to that coaching. I'm not the one fidgeting. You are. I'm just showing you they're fidgeting, you know? So yoga raises up a mirror to you. And so when you're mad at the teacher, it's you're mad at yourself, you know, because you're we're studying. Yoga is the study of ourselves. So if you see an instructor who is seemingly making themselves seem higher than you, holier than now, above you, that's a red flag to me. I mean, like you mentioned, I'm wearing the bunker gear when I teach you. I want to be in the trenches with you guys. I want to be there. I'm not any better than anyone else. I'm teaching what you know. You teach me what you, you know, I'm teaching you what I know. You teach me what you know. Let's, let's figure out how to human together. So, yeah. So I think if you're seeing someone that's kind of putting on a facade that is like, uh, makes you do that, you know, <laughs> I think that's something to be, to be aware of. Now, if you find yourself in one of those classes for some reason, don't think you're wasting the next hour of your life. You guys know, like, especially if you've taken my classes or if you've taken, you know, my app or whatever, and you've, you've hear my words and you go into some class that's maybe has a lot of BS around it you know the truth. You focus on your breathing. You focus on your alignment. You remember why you're there. The yoga is yours, regardless of who is calling out the poses to you. So you can always get something out of it. I love it. 
Uh, we're going to jump over to our Patreon episode. We got some more questions for you, but yeah. I want to make sure that our audience knows exactly where to find you and anything you want to plug, classes you have coming up, or or how can people get in touch with you to get you at their firehouse? Yeah, so yogaforfirstresponders.org is our website. Anything you need, if you just email info, I-N-F-O at yogaforfirstresponders.org, that'll be uh, sent to the right place to get an in-person program, to get a digital program. One thing I wanted to tell you guys is that we have a six-week online course that went under a pilot research study. And the results showed that for everyone who finished the training had a decrease in stress symptoms and an increase or a improvement in stress mindset. So this is a published paper. It was just published. And so this is a six-week online course, YFFR University. So if that's what you want, if you want that outcome, it's proven through this six-week course. So that's uh, something people can take advantage of. You can also get to our app, which is different. Uh, The online courses and the app are two different things. So through our website, you can get through that too. But one thing I wanted to mention to everyone is we do have instructor schools where we train you to be instructors and you can teach this, you know, like you guys, if if your agency is not officially putting it into place, if you could get trained and just teach your crew, just say, hey guys, we're doing this today and you can teach them. We give you classes, we give you curriculum. Our last instructor school of the year is open for registration. It's in St. Louis, Missouri at St. Louis Police Department. That registration is up on our website and it's a six day training and we give you everything you need to be an instructor. Awesome. We are full endorsers of you guys and we're happy you're out there making, making the job better. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys so much and your messaging and that's why I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to have your support. got some names over there oh yeah i got some names it's really exciting patreon just keeps growing and growing and i think the the cool thing is that the patreon community is making it better for everybody i mean everything that we have the soundboards the lights the cameras it's all because of our patrons a lot more video coming now too a lot more video coming because of our i would say what by the end of the year i mean everything will be in video yeah so Absolutely. that'll be great. So thank you, Josh Schneider, James Walker, David Metz, Mason Norman, the VIP this month, Charles Hill, who signed up for a whole year at the Anvil. My man. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. When you sign up through the Patreon, they provide a discount if you sign up for a year. So yeah. you can actually sign up at any level for 12 months, and I think you get 15% off. Yeah, so Charles is going to get some conference calls, and we're going to do uh, an interview prep for promotions. So uh, welcome aboard, everybody. If you want in on this, head on over to the-standard.us.